You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Got quite a bit to talk about, kind of all over the place. We got more questions. I got more answers. That's pretty much uh, a good summary of the day today. Since I'm not plugging that other thing anymore, let me throw out a plug for nflbigboard.com. With free agency winding down, all eyes are kind of turning back to the draft. So mock drafts are in full swing, and again, hopefully I'll be getting some of that. I did a practice run yesterday just to kind of see how it might go, could go, might sound. I don't know. We'll see. But hopefully we'll rip through some of those. But uh, it's getting to be that time of year, man. Now that the teams have all reshuffled, everybody that's picking 1 through 11 kind of changed a little bit, and that's something we're going to have to look at at some point. Not today. But if you want to see the latest as far as what all the, how the boards have changed, I've got, I mean, it's it's a lot less because I just shot off every single board. For those that don't know, NFLBigBoard.com is my website. It's an aggregation of all the other big boards around the web. Not all, but the ones that kind of matter, I guess. And it just averages them all to give you a more, you know, unbiased opinion of where everybody is. Because you can go to Draft Tech, you can go to Walter Football, you can go to all these different sites, the Draft Network, and they've got their real strong opinions on stuff, but um, it's kind of good to get an average. Otherwise, you go into it saying, oh, I know that this is a really good class for this or that, and then it's like everyone looks at you like, what are you talking about? Nobody thinks that, and you think that, and also one other website thinks that, but you think that because you just look at that one website. Kind of makes sense? So go check it out. Make sure you have it up before you do a mock draft just to give you an idea of uh, where things stand. Otherwise, if you got a question for the show, 608 501 if you'd like to get something off your chest for the What Grinds My Gears, 608 Very, very similar phone numbers, so that should reduce confusion. I keep doing that lame joke because I know there's always going to be one person that's like, wait, what, what was the other number? It's the same number, guy. It's fine. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So I want to start off with my daily correction, because as I um, ramble for about an hour, I'm bound to get something wrong. Uh, yesterday, and I, I kind of caught it halfway through, and I was like, wait, I'm, I'm confused. But I just kind of powered ahead, and like I said, with the time change, or uh, you know, with my schedule change at work, I really, I have just enough time to get coffee, come down, talk for an hour, and go to work. But I had said he got hurt against the Bears, he got hurt against the Vikings. Aaron Rodgers, that is. 
I had 2018 in my brain, apparently. I don't know what was going on. But it doesn't change the story all that much. I was just talking about Aaron or, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson and um, how well Jordy was doing until Aaron Rodgers went out. All that still stays the same. So there you go. What I think I want to do first is try to get out in front of something that's, I mean, it's just kind of boring at this point. And I feel like, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say everybody's wrong, but you've got Bears fans trashing Adrian Amos, and you got Packers fans trashing HaHa Clinton Dix, and I think there's a very good chance that both of these fan bases are going to look stupid. You know what I've said about HaHa Clinton Dix for a long time. Packers fans hate HaHa because he wasn't putting in effort, and because they saw six clips of him not doing well on Twitter, they assume that they know exactly what he did on all 1,157 snaps, or whatever it might be. That didn't change when he left, and our ability to cover deep was worse. That didn't dissuade anybody and think maybe he wasn't as bad as we thought. That didn't change when we saw Tremont Williams do the exact same thing as HaHa Clinton Dix. None of that changed. Everybody still knew that HaHa was one of the worst safeties out there. And if you say Pro Football Focus said he did really well, they just say Pro Football Focus is a joke. Because I saw six clips of him missing tackles, and I know the truth. And listen, I, I, I will con- I'm, I'm conceding everything. I'm just saying people are overextending. And you're, you're, you're overextending in a fight, and you're about to get counterpunched right in the jaw. Because HaHa Clinton Dix, who isn't as bad as you think, just went, just went to the best defense in the NFL and is going to have the best safety in the NFL next to him. With a decent linebacking group, with really good corners, even after losing guys like Bryce Callahan, and one of the better front four pass rushes in the NFL, I could go play safety there and look good. So you guys are going to keep popping off at the mouth. He's going to be hailed as one of the best safeties in the NFL. And Bears fans are going to mock all of you relentlessly. And you're setting us all up for that. You need to keep your mouth quiet a little bit. You keep going after Bears fans and they're just going to make you suffer. And I'm going to suffer as a result of that. You're going to make us all look very dumb. Ha ha has his faults. If you'd like me to go find you clips of Adrian Amos doing things similar to what ha ha gets made fun of, I can do that for you. Eddie Jackson has done it. Everybody has done it. Earl Thomas has done it. But what I want to do is say, let's forget the PFF grade, because any t- everybody wants to know what PFF says until it contradicts what they think, and then PFF is garbage, right? Ooh, what's his PFF grade? Oh, that's interesting. By the way, he says, ha ha's good. PFF is garbage. I hate pro football focus. Uh, okay. Let's just look at numbers, because numbers are just what numbers are. Not that they're perfect, but at some point, we got to kind of, I mean, give me something. I'm just going to put Adrian Amos and HaHa Clinton Dix next to each other in terms of grade, in terms of stats, and then I'm just going to leave it alone. I like Adrian Amos. I have liked Adrian Amos before the Packers signed him. We did the safety episode. I said he was one of my top guys. I wanted him over Landon Collins. All the Packer fans wanted Landon Collins. I said Amos is better than Landon Collins, and for the price, it's not even close. But, but before we even talk about it, because I, I'll, I'll concede Amos is better than HaHa Clinton Dix. That's fine. I'm not going to argue that with you. I'm just saying you're taking Adrian Amos, a fifth-round pick who is in a great defensive system with Vic Fangio. We're pulling him out of that and putting him into a team that has historically a horrific defense every single year. He has no safety help next to him. He has suspect corners, and we'll see what happens with pass rush. Then you have HaHa going from that system to Washington, which was a cluster, to the Chicago Bears. I think it's safe to say that Amos is maybe going to take a step back, and HaHa is going to take a step up. 
We, you don't have to think that. You can think whatever you want. I'm just saying it makes a lot of sense. I think actually maybe this is a good deal for both teams because the Bears couldn't afford Amos and are going to be fine with HaHa. The Packers can afford Amos and got Amos and great. And again, to prove that I'm fine with this and I'm, I'm technically on your side that Adrian Amos is better than HaHa Clinton Dix, I think it's the most telling that the Bears would be more than happy to keep Adrian Amos. And I've, I've said he, they tried to franchise tag him. I did see that somewhere, but I, I, I'm going to stop saying that because I don't know how official that actually is. That may just be somebody popping off about a source that doesn't actually know what they're talking about. But the fact of the matter is the Packers like Adrian Amos better than HaHa Clinton Dix. They had the ability to bring HaHa back. They didn't want him. They got rid of him mid-season. And you don't do that to good football players. They would re-sign him if he was a good football player that they liked, at least for their locker room, for the effort, for all this stuff combined. They went out of their way to get him off the team mid-season. That's very telling. And then they gave, essentially, HaHa Clinton Dix's payday, his hit, the, the money he was owed, this is for you. They gave it to Adrian Amos and said, you will be our guy. The Bears essentially settled on HaHa Clinton Dix. I have no doubt in my mind, if the Bears could just choose between the two, they would have chosen Adrian Amos. I have no doubt in my mind. So again, I'm not making a case for HaHa that he's a great safety. I think in terms of just his attitude, it's not a good fit. I'm saying you guys need to cool it by calling him trash, because you are way overextending. Does that make sense? Okay, let's look side by side now. Now, I'm going to start with grade, which I know nobody cares about, but just perk up for a second, because this is one of the few areas where Adrian Amos is better than HaHa Clinton Dix. Here is HaHa Clinton Dix's grade over the last five seasons. And again, I'm just going to give you the numbers because I don't want to use the terminology. Just understand, again, 60 is average, 70 is good, 80 is very good. So starting in 2014, 67.4, 77, I'll just forget the point, whatever, 67, 77, 70, 71, 79, meaning 2018 was his best year. And by the way, he wasn't very good with Washington, meaning almost all of that grade, which was very good, came from his few games with Green Bay. Here's Adrian Amos in four years. Started off 69.3, pretty similar. Second year, 73.2, pretty similar jump. But remember, in his third year, HaHa Clinton Dix regressed. He wasn't as good as he was in 2015. Went from 70 and then 71. Adrian Amos in year three went from 73 to 90.9. 90s are elite. This is via Pro Football Focus, which all Packer fans hate because it tells them that HaHa Clinton Dix is good and they know better. Okay, go ahead and trash Pro football focus on their grades because that's one of the only things saying that Adrian Amos is very, very good. It's not his stats. And if you want to talk about put on the tape, please stop lying. I know there's not that many people with Game Pass, and I know there's not that many people who have that much free time that you watched every single one of his games and every single one of his snaps in 2018. You guys are lying. Stop doing that. Nobody has time for that. Yeah, I know. You watched every snap of Adrian Amos and Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and HaHa Clinton Dix and every single. All you do is watch tape. You put on the tape. I know, I know, I know all about it. You're you're just a freak. Why you don't work for NFL Network and ESPN at the same time earning two paychecks, I just don't know because you are great at all things. It's not highlights you're watching. It's not just one game that you watch. No, you've watched every single snap ever, ever, ever. I get it. I know, man. It's crazy. I should just, you should just have your own podcast and I should just give you this podcast because you're better than everybody. Then in 2018, yeah, I'm a little, little hostile. It's just, it's annoying. It's an, it's obnoxious. That's all I'm saying. It's just obnoxious. And then it, then then there's the groupthink element, which also annoys me. Let's let's regurgitate what everybody else says because and then pretend I know what I'm talking about. Anyways, 2018, Adrian Amos's grade was 82.7. So very good. So that's awesome. I like Adrian Amos. He's a good football player. 
Especially in the last two two years, it's been heads and tails better than Ha Ha Clinton Dix. But nobody likes pro football focus, so we're going to disregard that. That doesn't count. We're not looking at that. We can't do a film session over a podcast. So what else? Oh, we could look at stats. Let's look at stats. Well, first of all, Ha Ha Clinton Dix has played a lot more. Uh, over the course of his five seasons, he's played 1,071 snaps, uh, 1,100 snaps, 1,200 snaps, 1,000-ish snaps, and 1,000-ish snaps. Amos has played 1,000, 900, 600, and 1,000. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but Haha Clinton Dix has been a lot more utilized, which, you know, if you're trying to find bad clips, it's going to be a lot easier to find when a guy's playing 1,200 snaps, literally every single snap that the defense is out there, whereas Adrian Amos, in 2017, where he was elite, played literally half the amount of snaps as Haha Clinton Dix. Again, not trying to trash the new guy. I like him. I'm just trying to get people to reel it in a little bit, because you're just setting yourself up for massive disappointment. I just don't want you to hurt. It's the right move, but even a good thing can be horrible if you build the expectation too much. It's going to be awesome watching Haha Clinton Dix single-handedly destroy the Bears' defense, and Adrian Amos is going to bring us right into the Super Bowl. Like People just need to cool it, man. You ever go on vacation and feel miserable because it wasn't as great as you thought? Because you forgot about all the expenses and the stress and, and the traffic? And, and the, the vision you had in your mind was just like literally driving into heaven? where there's no stress and there's no traffic and the sun is always shining and it's warm and there's no rain. What rain? It doesn't rain in heaven. And your trip is ruined, even though this is a billion times better than your normal life because you've built up the expectation too much. Just saying. Just trying to help you out, man. All right, continuing on. In terms of pressuring the quarterback, in 2018, they both had three. In other words, neither one of them really ever did it. Three total pressures, one total sack, and who cares about the rest? That's what both of them had. In terms of tackling, total tackles, HaHa Clinton Dix had 79 tackles. Adrian Amos had 65. In terms of missed tackles, remember, Adrian Amos is a freak. He's awesome. He doesn't do anything wrong. HaHa Clinton Dix has never made a tackle. He misses all of them. Well, with a similar number of snaps, HaHa Clinton Dix has more tackles. As far as missed tackles, Adrian Amos has nine misses. HaHa Clinton Dix has eight missed tackles. So again, I have no problem with you arguing with Bears fans, but make sure you have the facts straight. If you're saying HaHa Clinton Dix misses a bunch of tackles and somebody throws this stat in your face, you better have a backup plan. Adrian Amos missed more tackles than HaHa Clinton Dix last year. Just an FYI before you charge off into battle with no gun in your hand. Now, here's an area where Adrian Amos does a lot better in terms of helping the team. There is a stat called a stop. Pro Football Focus tracks things they call stops, and essentially this is a... uh, a tackle that constitutes a loss for the offense. That's how they phrase it. Specifically what it is, on first down, if you hold them to less than four and a half yard, that's considered a loss and it gets uh, tracked as a stop. Otherwise, third and fourth down, if you stop them from getting a first down, that's constituted as a stop. These are big things, right? These, These are big deals. Holding them to less than four and a half yards on first down and preventing first downs on third and fourth down is something the Packers have not been very good at over the years. Ha Ha Clinton Dix didn't provide very much in, by way of doing that. Again, my one argument for Ha Ha is that he's a little bit better over the top roaming around as a cover guy than what we currently have. I'm not saying better than Adrian Amos. I don't know. In fact, Adrian Amos's coverage grade is a lot higher over the last two years, so I'm going to trust the grade and say that they do a good job. But, you know, if you want to disregard that, we'll disregard that. But let's look at the numbers now. So the stops. Ha Ha Clinton Dix in 2018 had nine total stops, nine times where he made a tackle that that was a, you know, coming up short on first down or stopping them on third or fourth down. Adrian Amos had 18, which is double. Even more interesting, in 2017, when he had 670 snaps, the guy had 26 stops. That's a lot. 
Now, granted, this has probably more to do with him kind of roving up toward the line of scrimmage, whereas HaHa was usually staying back. But still, it's an important aspect because we're talking about a guy that does play single high safety, who does do a good job in coverage, but also does a good job up front. You're also probably going to have more opportunities to miss tackles, but that's somewhat of a weak argument if you want to make that argument because, again, HaHa had more tackles overall. So, I'm just, again, I'm just trying to help you craft an argument. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Adrian Amos is better, but we got to find the right ways to say that he is. Saying HaHa is going to miss more tackles ain't going to cut it because the numbers don't bear that out. So looking at now coverage, and this is always kind of tough because you're a safety. I mean, it's one thing to look at coverage numbers of a corner who's in man coverage because then it, it is your responsibility. And the less time you're thrown at, the better. And then obviously when you're thrown at, what do you, what do, you do? Do you let them catch it? Do you bat the ball? Do you intercept it? But again, the numbers are what they are. And better safeties are going to have better numbers. They're not perfect, but again, over the course of a thousand snaps, and, and uh, let's see, HaHa was in coverage 583 times. Adrian Amos was in coverage 749 times. So, you know, over the course of hundreds and hundreds of snaps, it's going to start to reflect a real number. So reception percentage, in other words, the number of times that you were thrown at, how many times did the other person catch it? For Adrian Amos, 71.1% of the time, 32 of 45 targets were caught. HaHa Clinton-Dix, 70.8. Very similar numbers, but again, advantage HaHa. What about total yardage? How many yards did the other person actually gained through the course of the year. HaHa Clinton-Dix gave up 155 yards in 2018. Adrian Amos gave up 271 yards, almost double the amount of yards that HaHa Clinton-Dix gave up. Advantage HaHa. Yards after the catch, 103 yards for HaHa Clinton-Dix, Adrian Amos, 78. Now that's actually a pretty big number. Not only is that advantage Adrian Amos, but remember, HaHa Clinton-Dix only had 17 receptions caught against him. That's a very low number, and that's good for HaHa. But this is, and I think this is kind of, it's going to be hard to craft an argument around this. But if the problem is the guy's taking bad angles and isn't able to bring somebody down, how in the world, on only 17 receptions, do they go for 103 total yards? That's six yards per reception. That's kind of a lot. I mean, on average, if you catch it around HaHa, you're going to get six additional yards. Adrian Amos gave up 78 yards after the catch, which is kind of close. But that's on 32 receptions, which the receptions aren't great. 32 times a pass was caught in his face. But we're talking about a little over two yards after the catch, meaning you catch it in his face, but then you're going down. So advantage Adrian Amos, and I would say fairly big advantage. And that, that's sort of what Pro Football Focus was trying to tell us when they put out that video of he's just not going to let things get out of control. right? He's going to maybe give up a pass here and there. He's going to do. He's just going to try to solidify the defense and take away the big plays. Ha-ha has a lot of... A lot of highs and a lot of lows. Adrian Amos is just kind of riding in the middle. Right? Ha is probably going to get more picks than Adrian Amos. He's also going to give up a lot more big plays. This is, this is kind of what has been said the whole time. And I think it's good for the Packers. Because the Packers are too prone to just doing really dumb things and giving up so many big plays and looking like, what are you guys even doing out there? That's what needs to stop. So it's a good fit. And again, I'm happy. Beyond happy. I would take Adrian Amos over HaHa Clinton-Dix any day of the week especially for what we need in our locker room, what we need on our team, what we effort-wise, everything else, culture-wise. He's exactly what we need. However, again, make sure you craft your arguments properly because if you're, if you're just going to keep riding with this ha-ha is trash stuff, you are going to get blasted. The Bears fans are all saving your tweets, man. Those guys are out there saving them. They're going to remind you. Also, a fact, Adrian Amos is going to do things poorly. He's going to have bad plays. So, I mean, if, if you just like to fight, 
and you want to find haha making a bad play like you did in Washington, like, oh, look how he got burned by, uh, what's his name? Saquon Barley, Barkley, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Ha! <laughs> he didn't, he didn't run fast enough. Everybody can catch Saquon Barkley, typical haha, the one guy in the world that can't catch him. We burned him so hard. And then, like, throw that all over Twitter to verify that haha's terrible. You can play that game, but they're just going to find Adrian Amos doing dumb stuff, too. I, I don't know. Maybe that's you. I used to be a little more combative when I was younger. I just, I don't like it so much anymore. Bears defense is better with HaHa than without. Packers defense is better with Adrian Amos than they were with HaHa Clinton Dix. Both of those things I believe to be true. There you go. Finishing this up. Adrian Amos had three interceptions, five pass breakups, and an NFL passer rating of 80.9. HaHa Clinton Dix had three interceptions, three pass breakups, an NFL passer rating of 76.2. So they had the same number of uh, interceptions. Amos had two more pass breakups. Haha Clinton Dix had a better overall passer rating. And by the way, as far as penalties, Adrian Amos had two penalties. Haha Clinton Dix had zero. So that's it. It's not as stark as everybody's making it seem. There's there are different styles of players. They do different things, better or worse. And again, I th- I just think it's a good fit for the Packers. It's absolutely an upgrade, not just over Haha, but what we had before. We had to get somebody, and we got somebody that's very good. That's awesome. And we should be happy. I'm just I'm just trying to help you out. I'm not going down that road. I think the, the best argument that Packer fans have is, number one, the contract that was offered between the two players. Number two is the fact that HaHa was shipped away by the Packers, and Washington didn't really make an effort to re-sign him. Now, we don't know the exact details, because apparently HaHa Clinton Dix took a pretty big pay cut to go play for the Bears and seems to be just trolling the Packers ever since he got over there. So as much as he says it's about wanting to play for the Bears, I'm guessing there's someone out there that's a pretty good team that would have signed him. But maybe not. Either way, I have a feeling by the end of this, I'm not going to like HaHa Clinton Dix very much if he's going to continue to just keep trolling Packers fans, which it seems like he's doing. And yes, if, if he completely whiffs on Aaron Jones, I am going to be just as happy as everybody else, and it's going to make me feel very happy. I'm, again, just trying to help you out. Slow down. Listen, that... that you be the counterpuncher, all right? Ease into it. Let them gloat. Let them have overly high expectations. Let them think Amos is garbage and HaHa is, is uh, you know, the, the second coming of, I don't know, Earl Thomas, whatever. That's fine. Let them think it. It's just going to increase the hurt when they see all the mistakes that he makes. You're just lowering their expectations by saying he's trash, he's trash, he's trash, he's trash, because then when he's not as trash as you say he is, they're going to be like, this dude's pretty good, man. Play the long game. Don't get so emotional and get fired up about this particular fight. Because you're just going to lose the war. And we're on the same team and I'm tired of losing the war because people don't know what they're doing. Sorry, I'm just, I'm on Twitter all day long just cringing. Like, guys, just be quiet! And if HaHa ends up getting a pick six on Aaron Rodgers, which is very unlikely, but if it happens, I'm not going on Twitter for a week. And I, that's, that, I promise you, even after a week, if I go back on, the first thing I'm going to see is Bears fans throwing that in my face. Because they won't give that up for literally a year. Anyways, let's move on. You, you get what I'm saying, right? Looking at the grades, looking at the stats, there's nothing that we can look at aside from six clips that somebody put up on Twitter of HaHa doing the wrong thing that illustrates that HaHa is as bad as Packer fans say he is. He was a first-round draft pick for a reason. And if it, it, here's the other thing. I, I can never move on when I say I'm going to. He was a very good football player for the Packers, and then the problem was what? Was it talent or was it effort? If this man is fired up and motivated to be really, really good, rather it's, whether it's because he just wants to play for the Bears, whether it's because he wants to show Packers fans and, and the Packers team that uh, you know they made a big mistake, if this guy with all his talent starts playing with effort again, what happens? Do you think it's possible he reverts back to Pro Bowl 
Ha ha Clinton Dix? Or is it just no, he's trash, he's always been trash. I'm just I'm just asking. Just thinking out loud here. We'll see what happens. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to get to another uh, Twitter question or correction that I got. The correction isn't super important, but it was about my math. We'll just leave that alone. I'm sure you all caught it. Leave me alone, all right? Do me a favor. Add up all of my truth that you know. Take it down to the discount supermarket. See if you can buy a stick of gum, okay? Here's a hint. You can't, because you know zero of my truth. But in the second half of his critique, um, and it's something else that I've been doing is, is kind of propping up Brian Balaga. And the reason I do that is because he's somebody else that, he's not getting trashed like haha, but there's definitely a feeling that he's just not very good and we need to move on. I don't exactly know, but that's the impression I get. I tend to think he's admitting his faults, primarily injuries. Um, I, I think he, he tends to be underrated. That's my opinion. I think he stacks up pretty well against most right tackles in the NFL. If he stays healthy, I trust him. I trust him against the best of the best. I think he does a good job against even guys like Khalil Mack. He's somebody that you can just trust. And I think even Nathan, who asked the question, and most people that are not huge Balaga fans will admit, even if they don't care for him very much, that getting rid of him at this particular point in time is just not really an option. Because we just don't have anyone else that can even play the position to a mediocre degree. But let's, let's engage with it. So here is, here is the, uh, the question, or statement, I guess. In my opinion, Brian Balaga is overrated. Good blocker-ish, yeah, maybe, but if you count his penalties, is he really that good? He is offsides or false starting constantly for someone who is supposed to be a veteran. So I wanted to look into that a little bit. And this will all be a really nice segue into finally talking about our new offensive lineman, but let's start with this. First of all, just starting with the grade. If you like it, listen. If you don't, we'll get to some other stuff in a bit. But David Bakhtiari graded out as the best tackle as far as pass blocking in the NFL. Corey Lindsley, as far as just offensive line in general, was our second best pass blocker coming in at 21st overall. And actually, let me sort this a little bit because you got some people with like 79 snaps here. If we go 50%, then we have David Bakhtiari is the number one pass blocking tackle. Corey Lindsley is the 17th best pass blocking offensive lineman. So Bakhtiari is the best lineman anywhere along the offensive line in, in pass blocking. Corey Lindsley is the 17th best. Brian Balaga is the 21st best. So there are 143 linemen that fit in this category of being an offensive lineman with at least, um, what would it be, 50% of 1,188 snaps. So whatever that specific number is, there are 143 of them. Brian Balaga is 21st. For an offensive tackle, that's really, really good. And again, this is all offensive linemen. This isn't just tackles. If we're just looking at tackles, David Bakhtiari is first, Brian Balaga is ninth. We have two top 10 tackles in the NFL. So just based on that, I'm saying he's pretty good. If we look at total pressures, which isn't exactly fair because Balaga has played less snaps than some people, but he ranked 10th, only allowing 22 total pressures this entire year. He gave up five sacks, three hits, and 14 hurries. That's pretty good. Brian Balaga, for the record, gave up four sacks, three hits, and 18 hurries. So Balaga gave up one more sack. And I know Bakhtiari has a much harder job off that side, but let's not forget Khalil Mack is on Brian Balaga's side. But Balaga gave up one more sack, the same amount of hits, and four less hurries for a total of three less pressures than David Bakhtiari. Now, getting to his specific point, let's take all of that good and subtract the amount of penalties he had. 
I don't know how much I want to put an emphasis on that, but let's look at it specifically. David Bakhtiari had five penalties on the year. Brian Balaga had eight. It's it's kind of a lot, but I, I'm not seeing something super drastic. Beyond that, I don't know how much we want to say that, you know, this guy's not very good because of penalties. Tyron Smith with the Dallas Cowboys, phenomenal, phenomenal offensive lineman. He had 10, 10 penalties on the season. Andrew Whitworth, graded as the fourth best overall tackle in the NFL. Eight total penalties, same as Brian Balaga. Is anybody saying Andrew Whitworth is not a good tackle? Now, I get what you're saying. He's, he's a good blocker-ish, and then if you factor in the penalties, which I have a feeling, although I don't know, you think he has more penalties than he does. Again, only three more than Bakhtiari in eight total. So if you look at him as being an average-ish guy with, you know, 10, 11, 12 penalties or whatever it is you assume he has, then yeah, it's kind of like this guy's trash. Plus, he's hurt all the time. I can get it. But I'm just saying, getting specific, he doesn't give up a lot of pressures. He's a very good pass blocker. He's got eight, eight penalties. I'm not freaking out about it. And then if we go a step further and say, okay, what happens when we lose him? Things, I think, get a little bit dire. Jason Spriggs, for example. Jason Spriggs played 292 snaps. Again, Balaga played 781, meaning Jason Spriggs only played 37% of the amount of snaps as Jason Spriggs. You know how many penalties he had? Seven. One less penalty. So Balaga had a penalty once every 97 snaps. Spriggs had a penalty once every 41.7, almost 42 snaps. That's a lot. Beyond that, Jason Spriggs gave up three sacks in less than 300 um, in less than 300 snaps. So we're talking about one sack every uh, every hundred snaps. So if we make him a full-time starter and, and we give him David Bakhtiari's numbers, let's say he plays 1,032 snaps, I mean the guy's given up almost 11 sacks on the season. That's kind of dire. So and I and, and again I, I don't believe that anyone would necessarily disagree that we would be okay moving on from Balaga point taken that he's maybe not as good as as I say he is, and I don't think my job is to necessarily point out how elite he is, although I do think he's underrated. Again, I think I think the sentiment by Nathan is generally the sentiment by most Packer fans. I get that sort of feeling, kind of like, it's, it's just one of those things where I talk about people the way that I feel about them, and every once in a while I get sort of this feel of, eh, I don't know, and it just confuses me, and, and this is just one of those players. And, and most in most places we're lockstep. I think I thought more highly of HaHa Clinton-Dix than most people. I think a little bit more highly of Brian Balaga. I think I think a little higher of Jake Ryan than most Packer fans. Otherwise, I think we're on the same page for the most part. Beyond that, just to round this out, and since we're talking about it, we'll get a little bit more uh, into the specifics of the uh, the metrics here. The PFF has a pass-blocking efficiency rating, which I believe is, is very similar to what I said about their grading of edge rushers, where they take the total pressures, but they emphasize sacks, hits, and hurries a little differently, meaning sacks, you get a bonus if you're an edge rusher. If you give up, you know, 10 pressures, but they're all sacks, that's going to hurt you more as a as a tackle center or whatever. But in terms of pass blocking efficiency, Corey Lindsley was uh, number one. Now, keep in mind, interior is always better than exterior based on these. I mean, I'm just looking at it, and it's from the top, center, 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 guard, 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 center, guard, center, 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 tackle. Kind of makes sense because the exterior pressure tends to be a little better than the whatever. But just so we can kind of look at it. His uh, efficiency, Corey Lindsley that is, is 98.5. Next on the list is David Bakhtiari with a uh, rate of 97.9. Brian Balaga, and it also takes into account snaps. So that's another reason why Balaga would be less because he had less snaps. But he was rated 57th. This is, of again, of all offensive line. So top 64 as a tackle isn't a bad number. Being 57th on a list of all the offensive linemen, I'm not upset about that. 
but he had a efficiency of 97.4. Lane Taylor, who was the only other offensive lineman the Packers had with a uh, enough snaps to be on this list, was 110th out of 137. I think Lane Taylor is one of the guys I'm a little bit lower on than most Packer fans. They see him as a starting left guard. I've never seen him as a starting left guard. I think he is a backup that is sufficient, but is somebody that that can fill in until we find a replacement, and the Packers are just refusing to find a replacement. They like Lane Taylor, and I, I just don't care for him. Again, not his character. Seems like a great guy, probably a great locker room person. Nothing against Lane Taylor in particular. I just think that's a position that can and should be upgraded. Unfortunately, right guard has collapsed into nothing, and we're about to lose a right tackle, so the left guard position is just something that even I don't care about as much anymore. But again, to give you an idea, 110th out of 137, he gave up 8 sacks, 5 hits, 23 hurries, and only 600 snaps. That's a lot, man. 36 total pressures on 600 snaps. Blaga gave up 22, and that's off the edge. If I get rid of that 50% thing, uh, Jason Spriggs was actually the worst. The lowest grade that they give on this is 96.4. I don't know why or how the math all works out, but uh, only a few people tied for 190th. Jason Spriggs was one of the people that had uh, the honor of that. Lucas Patrick, 173rd out of, well, it's more than 190 because of all the ties. But Lucas Patrick was 173. As far as a glimmer of hope, a guy that did fairly well, but didn't get hardly any snaps. And, you know, super small sample size, but Alex Light was technically 96. Now, don't read too much into that because we're talking about 22 snaps, but no sacks, no hits, one hurry. Do I think he's ever going to be anything? No, I don't. Just saying. He's the one guy that we can't point the finger at and say, get off the team. At least not yet. But that that's basically where we stand right now. We, we have a offensive line that has three really good pass blockers. We have a good left tackle, a good right tackle, and a good center, and we don't have any really good guards. That's just the reality. I haven't changed my stance. If, you know, some people believe Nathan is correct, that's fine. I don't see it anywhere. I've always liked him on the team. I feel like he holds up. Um, We see the stark decline when he goes away. Would I like to see him replaced? Of course. Now, there's there's always a a possibility we extend him beyond this year, and it's getting close to that point, depending on what we do in the draft, that um, we may have to extend him. But, little segue here, I think there is a possibility that Mr. Billy Turner is going to be looked at as a possible replacement to play left tackle in 2020. I don't know how that's going to pan out, but it's possible he could be the right guard for this year and slide into right tackle next year. So that is what I would like to take a look at next. So I want to start out just by doing an overview because we haven't done that yet. In terms of just pro football focus grade, here is what we're looking at. And it's the reason why so many people are like, uh, what is with this guy? Because everybody else, Adrian Amos, fantastic PFF grade and everything. Everything's fine. Zadarius and Preston were decent and then kind of had breakout years last year. Here are the grades for Mr. Billy Turner. Starting in 2014 for Miami. Only played 17 snaps, 12 as a pass blocker, 5 as a run blocker, graded out as average. Doesn't really matter, super small sample size, right? 2015, he gets the opportunity to start, not the entire year, but he plays right guard from week 6 through week 17 for the Miami Dolphin. Here's generally how that season looked. Good, terrible, average, good, terrible, elite, bad, horrible, average, bad, bad, bad. Overall, he graded out below average, 58.3. Right? Very inconsistent. Some some peaks as a pass blocker and then some really, really low lows. In terms of specifics, he played 765 total snaps, which, you know, we're talking similar to what, like, Balaga and uh, those kinds of people did. He gave up 8 sacks, 6 hits, 11 hurries for 25 total uh, pressures. 25 isn't the end of the world, but I think 8 sacks is pretty high. 
and there were games where he was giving up multiple. So it's it's kind of one of those things where you wonder if it's just, you know, when you get him against a better player. For example, he went up against Houston. That was two of the sacks. Well, as an interior guy, who's he going up against in Houston? And this is going to carry over, by the way, into 2018, where you see he's a really good football player at times, but you get him up against elite athletes, and he just gives up a bunch. So no sacks against Tennessee. Houston with, uh, you know, Watt, I don't know, maybe he was hurt that year or whatever, but they've got a good defense. He gives up two sacks. Against New England, two sacks, one hit, one hurry, four total pressure, and zero, zero, one, one, zero, 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 and then he gives up two to Indy. I don't know who in the world Indy had in 2015, but whatever. But for those keeping score, only four penalties. So that was his first time being a starter. Didn't go all that well. Then uh, 2016 rolls around. Now, I, I, I don't know the situation in terms of if he was maybe just filling in for injured players. Maybe their guard went out. I suppose I could look it up. I just, what, it doesn't matter, right? He, these are the opportunities he had, and this is what he did with it. The reason I say that is because next year he wasn't given that position. Maybe because somebody came back from injury. Makes sense. Beyond that, he doesn't get a start until week three, and it's at right tackle. He only plays eight snaps, but he does okay. Then in week four, he plays left guard. Plays 45 snaps. He starts at left guard. He gives up one sack, one hit, and three hurries. Five pressures in one game. Horrible. One of the, I mean, his, his pass blocking grade was 18.3. It doesn't get much worse than that. That's about as bad as you can get. When I said that he was referred to as a turnstile that got Ryan Tannehill killed, this is what they're talking about. They remember this guy. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that was a terrible offensive lineman that everyone made fun of for like two years because he just kept letting people kill Tannehill. Week five, he goes from left guard to left tackle. He starts at left tackle. He gives up three sacks, two hits, three hurries, eight pressures in one game. To be clear, he only played 27 pass blocking snaps. So 27 times he had to pass block. One out of just about every three of those, he gave up a pressure. One in every nine snaps was a sack against Tennessee. He also had a penalty in that game. It was about as bad as you can get for a tackle. So they let him walk. Now, I don't know the exact trajectory of, of, you know, maybe they benched him, and then they cut him, and then he sat for a while, and then whatever his course was, he eventually got cut, he eventually got picked up by Denver. In week 15, they put him in at right guard. He's not a starter, but he plays right guard week 15, 16, and 17, and he does it just for a little while. Here's the interesting thing. They pick up this guy who's horrible, terrible, put him at right guard. He has a pass blocking grade of 81.3, which is very good. Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalty. Against Kansas City, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalties. Against Oakland, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalty. It was it was small sample size because, again, he wasn't a full-time starter, but 24 total pass blocking. It was 41 total snaps, 24 total pass blocking snaps. A total grade of 85.5, which is very, very good. Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalties. I'm sorry, one penalty. He did have a penalty against Oakland. Now, his run blocking was abysmal, real bad. But as a pass blocker, it's kind of like, where did this come from? Okay, that brings us to 2017. It's kind of a weird, rocky road, so we're going to kind of stumble our way through this. Weeks are uh, 2017. He doesn't play weeks one through five, and then in week six, he gets thrown in at right tackle. Again, he's probably just a versatile backup that's going to come in and play whatever position is down. And he could end up being one of those pieces for the Packers. I mean, it's one of the guys that the Packers like. I mean, Justin McCray, that kind of a guy, but hopefully an upgrade at Justin McCray. You're going to play wherever we have a need. If Bakhtiari goes down, guess what? You're up, bud, which is probably going to be unfortunate based on what I'm looking at here. But in that game of playing right tackle, 46 snaps, 38 were pass blocking, so they threw the ball a lot. He gave up one sack, three hurries, which is a total of four pressures, one penalty. Pass blocking grade of 32.5, horrific. 
Doesn't play the rest of the year. Now, finally, 2018. Week one, he only gets two snaps. Nobody cares. Week two, he gets put back at right tackle. It's going to be a nightmare, right? This guy is horrible. Ugh. He just, he's a turnstile. 35 total snaps. Again, still not a full-time starter, but basically starter snaps. 35 snaps, 23 pass blocking reps, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurry, zero penalty. So he survived. Then he goes up against Kansas City. Now remember, Kansas City, real good. D. Ford, Justin Houston, best pass rushing duo in the NFL, best pass rusher in the NFL. And based on a lot of the highlights I saw, he was firing off the right side quite a bit. 44 total reps, 29 reps against D. Ford and Justin Houston. Zero sacks, zero hits, four hurries. Not the worst thing in the world. Four times the quarterback got off platform because he didn't do his job, but he didn't allow any sacks or any hits. Not 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 terrible. Didn't have the best pass blocking grade in the world, but again, really, really good pass, um, pass rushers, and he didn't allow a single sack. That's not bad. Now in week five, he is a full-time starter at right tackle. 77 total snaps, 58 pass blocking snaps. This is two to three times as many reps as a pass blocker as he usually gets. He gave up one sack, zero hits, zero, uh, one hurry uh, for a total of two pressures, still no penalties. Now, nobody likes that he gave up a sack, but overall, he had a very good pass blocking grade. In other words, he held up pretty well. Goes up against uh, LA, this would be the Rams, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalties. Goes up against Arizona, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero penalties. Goes up against Kansas City again. Two sacks, zero hits, three hurries, five total pressures. Again, no penalties, had a terrible pass blocking grade. So again, it's kind of one of those things where you get a guy like Justin Houston and D. Ford and you kind of worry a little bit. And that's one of the things I like about Brian Balaga. He's not Bakhtiari, but he can rise to the occasion even against guys like Khalil Mack. And yes, he got beat by Khalil Mack. Everybody gets beat by Khalil Mack. I'm just saying, it's not like, you know, if you get a guy that's just all speed, and I'm, I'm not saying this is what it is for Turner, but let's say you got a slow right tackle, and he can usually hold his own, but if you get a real fast speed guy, he's going to beat you around the edge. Again, I don't know the exact situation here, but there definitely seems to be certain times where it's like, yeah, he's just getting beat. But if he's not up against one of those guys that's just beating him, he's winning all day. So then week nine, he's not playing right tackle anymore. Again, I don't know if there was a right tackle that came back, if he got pulled out of that job after the Kansas City debacle, I don't know, but they put him at left tackle for three snaps, and that was it. He resurfaces then at week 11 as a left guard. Plays that from week 11 through week 17, the end of the season. Left guard against the Chargers, zero sacks, zero hits, one hurry. Actually did well in run blocking for the first time ever. Pittsburgh at left guard, zero sacks, zero hits, three hurries. Cincinnati, zero sacks, one hit, one hurry. San Francisco, zero sacks, zero hits, two hurries. Cleveland, zero, zero, zero. Oakland, zero, zero, two. He ended the season against the Chargers and had zero sacks, zero hits, six hurries, which is kind of a lot. He also ended this entire season playing uh, 824 snaps, which is kind of a lot, two total penalties. So for those interested in that, which is something kind of important that I don't usually pay attention to, but that's that's not a lot at all. So on the season, playing two different positions, he gave up three total sacks, one hit, 23 hurries, 27 total pressure. So a decent amount of hurries. Most of them came in chunks. He had nine games with one hurry or less, but he had you know a game with four, a game, a couple games with three, and then a game with six. But overall, that's not terrible. A couple interesting things to note at left guard. Although his two penalties came at left guard and a a significant amount of his hurries, almost every game he had, he was giving up hurries. He didn't give up a single sack from the inside. Now again, maybe that's just because on the inside you don't give up quite as many. It's harder to give up sacks on the inside than it is on the outside. But not a single sack from the inside. Also, only one hit. He only had one hit on the entire season, but it came from the inside. So this isn't terrible. 
I mean, I'm not looking at this guy and saying he's flawless. He's disciplined with the penalties. Three sacks on a season is kind of incredible, even though sacks aren't the be-all, end-all. You know, the 23 hurries is, is significant, but only three sacks and one hit, that's that's pretty solid. Especially if a, a significant part of our goal is to make sure that Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt. I would much rather him, you know, a third down, the play breaks down, and he has to scramble and throw the ball away because of him, and then we all shake our fist and go, ah, oh, this guy, than having, you know, a 285-pound defensive tackle come flying up the middle and smash into Aaron Rodgers and slam him into the ground. In terms of his pass blocking efficiency, which again, we're looking at the total number of pressures, but also I believe weighting sacks and whatnot, and then also looking at the total number of uh, total number of snaps, Billy Turner didn't grade out quite as well as a guard. Now, for some reason, they didn't just lump it all together. They just took his guard stats and they don't have his tackle stats as far as his pass blocking efficiency. But as a guard, he was 46th uh, out of 87. So significantly better than Byron Bell, who was 77th out of 87. Better than Justin McCray, who was 70th out of 87. Better than Lane Taylor, who was 66th out of 87. Better than Lucas Patrick, who was 57th out of 70 or out of 87. But I, I tend to think that has more to do with all of those guys I listed being horrible than anything else. But still, if you're telling me, you know, if he's a, an upgrade over McCray and, and Bell and everybody else, cool. But I also did find it interesting that I, it's, it's debatable that his tackle stats were actually better than his guard stats. When you consider the fact that he's seen as an athletic guard who has the versatility to play across the line of scrimmage, and the fact that maybe his tackle stats are better... She promised she would be quiet. I don't know what the world's coming to when you can't trust a two-year-old to not scream. Millennials, what are you going to do, am I right? It's so funny that millennial just means young people. You guys realize I'm a millennial, right? Young kids, the ones eating the, the, the Tide Pods and stuff, those are not millennials. That's Generation Z, all right? Don't put that bad juju on me. That's not my generation. We got our own problems. I don't need people telling me that my generation eats Tide Pods. Millennials are all grown up, have kids, and have jobs now. Change your terminology. Gen Z. Then, then the, My two-year-old kid, I don't even know. I don't even know what's after Z. We're out of letters. Anyways, let's talk about some tackles. As I was saying, he's an athletic interior guy with, with the ability to play tackle who's possible it's it's possible that his tackle stats are better than his guard stats and similar to a lot of the other guys that we've gotten seems to have had a bit of a breakout now if you just look at his stats you know in line from 2014 to 2018 60 here are the numbers 64 58 32 41 62 so technically it's his second best year but based on what i've described to you it, it paints a very different picture right the one year that was better was 2014 17 total snaps that absolutely doesn't count the only other year in which he did anything was in 2015, in which he graded out almost as good. It was a little bit worse, but again, just looking at the numbers, he gave up eight sacks. Eight sacks, six hit, only uh, 11 hurries compared to 23 in 2018, but still much more flattering numbers, and also only two penalties, which is really, really incredible. For playing 824 snaps, that's really awesome. And playing two different positions... And that, that's the other thing that, that we got to consider. Not only do we have to figure out what the plan is, but getting this guy into a position and just saying, this is what you do, we're going to teach you to do this, and we're going to, you know, we're going to hone that one craft. So he got a lot better. In, in 2018, at right tackle, he did very well. At left tackle, he did very well. But he needs the opportunity to be able to play in one position. And that's we can't necessarily guarantee that playing for the Packers. Because if he is what it seems like he's going to be... He might start somewhere and then replace somebody if they get hurt, and then next year play a completely different position. Who knows? But I just, I just kind of think that kind of paints a different picture because it, on its face it doesn't make sense paying this guy $7 million because he's an unknown commodity that's going to come in and maybe win the guard spot, 
but I don't think that's a guarantee over McRae based on his his past history. He's probably better than McRae, but is he let's throw $7 million at him and give him a relatively long-term contract so that he stays around for a long because we we just we, he's going to be our guy. We're paying him that way. It's kind of crazy unless you look at it from the standpoint of we believe he could legitimately be the right tackle of the future. Suddenly you're looking at it going, we just stole this guy. Even if he's just adequate. Again, for a half a season, he had three sacks, zero hits, and eight hurry. That would be six, eight, and 16 over basically a full year. The hits are a little high, but it's somewhat comparable to what Brian Balaga did with 5, 3, and 14. So am I super optimistic that he's going to come in and be a great guard and then transfer and be a, a phenomenal tackle? No. But if he can be a, a quality starting tackle for the price that we're paying him, that's pretty awesome. Or if he can just develop into a, a solid... I mean, he's, he's got to become something. If he's just moderately better than McCray, then we wasted a lot of money on this guy. And yes, I've seen the clips that have been posted on Twitter of him doing good things. I understand that that's cool. And I will say, this guy has got some speed. That's the one thing I noticed from those clips. Because, you know, doing good things, every single player in the NFL has done good things at least once. Byron Bell has got a good clip out there somewhere. I think I should do that. I I should just spend a day gathering up Byron Bell clip and, and just put it up on Twitter and say, this guy's really good. See how many people take the bait on that. Because it seems like that's all it takes for some people. Like, oh, oh man, look at how good he is. Come on, man. But the speed of this guy, he flies up to that next level. So as a pulling guard, as a lead blocker, that's one of the things that's always embarrassing to watch is, is guys trying to lead block. Not only are they terrible blocking in space, and I'm talking about offensive linemen in general, because they're just not as, as you know, they're, they're short area guys. They're, they'll beat you in a phone booth kind of thing. Look that up if you don't know what it is. But that, that was the one thing that was really, really impressive. I've watched a little bit of Zadarius Preston and Adrian Amos. I have not spent any time myself looking at Billy Turner, but just seeing those clips on Twitter, I mean, that's that's something that, regardless of if it's just a clip or not, I know there are a lot of guys on the Green Bay Packers that cannot do that. He's very, very fast. And look, he was a third-round pick. So it's not like this is just an undrafted free agent that we're taking a flyer on. He's, he's a talented guy. He was drafted high. There's some potential there. It seems like maybe he possibly is starting to show his potential in Denver. The Packers have watched his tape, feel like that's somebody that they can develop. And again, you look at what uh, the Shanahans do, which is this, the school that uh, LaFleur comes out of. They work real hard at making sure that the offensive line and the run game is on point. Some teams just, I mean, if, 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 if I shouldn't say that. The Packers did a good job developing talent because they had a very, very good offensive line coach. But I don't know what Denver and Miami were able to do as far as stressing and emphasizing, you know, technique and all that kind of stuff. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what all these guys can do under the tutelage of LaFleur. And we'll see what Stenovich is all about, too. You know, Campen, Campen was solid, man. There's, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, McCarthy was solid. A lot of guys were solid. I don't know if Campen is, and I'm not going to just put it on him just to put it on him, but it's possible we, we had a lot of coaches and a lot of players that started getting comfortable. What was the last offensive lineman we saw get developed into something awesome? Not that we've, developed, not that we've drafted super high with offensive line in a while. I'm just saying. Maybe this is another area where we needed a little bit of fresh blood. Stenovich comes from the 49er. So everything that LaFleur wants to do, Stenovich knows exactly how to get that done. They, they, they understand the exact same thing. This is the perfect fit. And, and, and again, as good as Campen is, he has a, di- a different understanding. He was great for McCarthy and his scheme. He knew how to teach guys how to do that. This team needs to learn to be new, to be different, to, to run the ball differently. We're changing the way we do that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to put a somewhat more positive spin on it than maybe it should be. But I'm starting to kind of see the potential. It's definitely the most high risk. Well, Zadarius is pretty high risk considering the massive amount of money. 
But in terms of you know throwing a decent sum of money at a player that is intended to be a long-term option that might just not be any good at all, it's fairly high risk. Then again, with the low price tag and, and low guarantees, and by the way, the, the guarantees, just like all these guys, the guarantees were handed to them in the form of a check. So he doesn't have any guarantees left. That doesn't mean we can cut him free and clear because that, that check that we cut them for him for $9 million is spread out over the course of, of whatever. So in other words, if we cut him next year, we're on the hook for the remaining balance on that check that we cut him for $9 million, which would be, what, $7.75 million? But he gets $0. So take that for what it's worth. We'll talk more about contracts and whatnot too, but there's also... So the money that isn't guaranteed can also be spread around. It doesn't also have to be base salary. Some of this is workout bonuses and per-game roster bonuses. So if he misses games, that's that's money that we get back. There's also the workout bonus, which, you know, it, it, how that gets structured is dependent on the team. But basically, it's just an attendance sheet. You have to be here for the workout. So really, if you look at it, it's, it's in a way, it's team-friendly, and, and Billy Turner is taking a high upside contract with very little guaranteed. And this is kind of where I never really understood why you wouldn't want the signing, bo- the high signing bonus that the Packers and Steelers give because it's still guaranteed money and you get it all up front. Well, if you look at how much money he's going to make in 2020, again, he's, he's got the $9 million and that's awesome, but how much is his money going to be in 2020? Well, there's a $3 million roster bonus, so he has to be good enough this year to make it to next year's roster bonus. And if he does, he gets $3 million. That's pretty solid. Probably not going to complain about that. His base salary is only $1.7 million, though. But then everything else is just bonuses. If you want to get paid, you got to work out. If you want to get paid, you got to play. If you don't pay, you don't get... If you don't play, you don't get paid. And even beyond that, 2021, his base salary is $4 million. 2022, his base salary is $5 million. The rest is, you got to go earn it. But anyways, he, I mean, he's just the biggest question mark for me. I think on defense, we got three solid players. For the, for the thousandth time, they're not elite players. Amos has that ability. I think uh, Zadarius maybe has that upside. But they're just good, solid players. And Billy Turner, to me, seems like we're paying $7 million a year for all upside. Because if we get what he's always given, we're getting another Justin McRae. Which is fine if we want to just add a body, but not for that price. So, again, clearly the Packers feel like he broke through in this past year. His stats were pretty solid. And uh, they, they like the athleticism and the ability. And for the price, I mean, again, if, if this guy is legitimately a solid, whether even if he's just a, a dominant guard and you think he can really be that guy, or if you think he can be the right tackle of the future, we're, we're stealing him. But we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I'm going to withhold judgment. Um, I, I can see what he's done in the past. I saw what he did last year, and I know what the Packers clearly think. We'll just see what ends up happening, I guess. Anyways, a lot more to talk about, but uh, we're, we're at a, about a good cutoff point here. So you folks enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com